Welcome to the Center Church Podcast. My name is Jack, and I'm the Youth and Discipleship Resident here at Center Church in Byron Center, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by his word, and move to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in him. say again, just welcome to the new year. Uh, it's been a month for me, and we're three weeks into the series. It's the first time I'm actually preaching it, so I'm kind of excited about it. Uh, I've had this one in, in the tank for a while, so you're about to get like a month's worth of preaching in one Sunday. It's going to be great. Uh, maybe. We'll see. Uh, but I want to say, too, I uh, kind of alluded to this earlier. Thank you so many of you, especially if you call Center Home, and you've been praying and supporting us as we've journeyed with our daughter, Eden. She's nine months old and had to be in the hospital for a little while at the beginning of this month, and very difficult, but it was way better and felt way more supportive because of people like you texting and sending gift cards, and I'm a little mad that no one sent me a Chipotle gift card, so I don't feel taken care of, but our family in general, you know, is taken care of, and so it means a lot to us uh, that you did that and supported us through it, and maybe like you, we've had a lot of family time this month, a lot. Now, that can be good. Uh, depending on the age of your children, or it can be incredibly stressful and anxiety-inducing. And so we had a little bit of both. Like our Christmas break was not exactly how we planned it, but I've started to pick up some things about our kids that I have not noticed. So Eden's done all these cool developmental things. She's crawling. She's trying to climb up on stuff. That's super fun. Len, on the other hand, is two and a half years old, and her new thing is when you ask her a question to not respond at all. Oh, my gosh. It is like in my top 20 things that annoy me about her right now, you know? So it is like infuriating. Like she will, you'll say a question, hey, Lennon, what do you want for dinner? Just stare at you. Hey, Lennon, what are you excited for at school today? She'll just stare at you. It's like it is maddening. I'm like, I'm your dad. You've got to respond to me. Like she just will stare at me. And it always starts out with a little smirk. Like it always starts out with this small little smirk. And this is a picture of Lennon. She's super cute normally. But she has this little smirk, and then it's like she tucks her chin, and then she averts her eyes away from me, and it's like the bravado, just like oozing out of this little two-year-old wearing Paw Patrol underwear. It drives me crazy. I can't believe it. Like, it drives me crazy. And the thing that drives me crazy about it is she knows I'm the boss. She knows I'm her dad. She knows that I'm taking care of her. I'm making sure the house is heated. I'm feeding her. But she knows that she's the oldest. I'm the oldest. My wife, Lindsay, is the oldest in our family. It is like a three-way power struggle. And she thinks she's winning it a lot of the time by just saying nothing, like stonewalling me as her dad. And it drives me nuts. And what drives me crazy is when I think about my own life, I do that same thing sometimes too. And so someone will send me maybe a hard email or there's like a big decision. What I want to do is just not respond. I'm like, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to hope that this kind of figures itself out. Or I, or I know that God is saying, like, you need to say this to that person or forgive them or, like, confront them about something that's hard. And I'm like, I do not want to do that. I'm just, like, not responsive to him. Or maybe it's, like, in a, in a marriage or in a family. You're like, I know I should do this with my kids. I know I should say this to my spouse. I just don't want to do it. I just, like, don't respond to him. Do you ever do that with God? Do you ever have those moments where you're like, I know what he said. I know what I'm supposed to do. 
I just don't want to do it. I don't want to respond to him. And uh, if you do resonate with that or if you've ever felt that, uh, you're in really good company because Jonah is a really kind of C-minus level prophet who a lot of the time in this story does the opposite of what God asked him to do. So God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to declare like, like there's judgment. We need these people to repent. I want to save them. But if they keep just operating in this way, they're going to be wiped out. And Jonah's like, okay, I heard what you said. I'm not doing that. He goes the opposite direction uh, from the place Nineveh he was supposed to go. And then a couple chapters later, we pick up the story where we're going to read today, Jonah chapter 3. So if you have a phone or Bible, pull that out right now. Jonah 3, reference will be on the screen, verse 1. And as you're turning there, this is what the very first verse says. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Say that with me one more time. A second time. Like he said, a second time. Now, why is that significant? Because Jonah knew what he was supposed to do the first chapter. He's supposed to go to Nineveh and preach the word that, that God had given him. And he does not do it. So it comes to him a second time. It says, go to the great city of Nineveh, proclaim to it the message I give you. And like, bewildering, Jonah actually does it. Like verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. And I went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was, very, was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he goes on and proclaims a decree to the entire city of Nineveh, everybody repent. Like turn around, respond to this word from this really fishy smelling prophet Jonah. Like we need to listen. We need to turn around. We got to respond to this. We cannot just move on with life as usual. And then at the end of that response, the whole city does this. It says that God relented. He actually responded to Nineveh's response. He, he relents, doesn't bring judgment, and the, and the city is saved. The people are saved. It's a crazy story. But the first part is kind of a clue into why this is so significant. Because it says that Jonah was called to Nineveh. Why is that a problem? Because Jonah hates Nineveh. That's why it's a problem. Uh, Nineveh is modern-day Mosul, Iraq. I have a really good betting guess that you don't have Mosul, Iraq on your daily prayer list either. And Jonah was like not a fan of what was going on in Nineveh. They were a rival empire. They were oppressive. He, he judged them. He didn't think that they deserved to be saved. The reason he didn't want to go to Nineveh was in case they actually listened to his message. They actually might get saved, and that was like the last thing that Jonah wanted for the people of Nineveh. And so begrudgingly, he ends up actually going. But Jonah's improper response to God's voice lands him in a whale's intestinal tract. And then while in that whale's intestinal tract, he eventually submits. He's like, okay. I, I, he gets on his knees, I guess. I don't know how you do that in a whale's intestines. But he's like in, in, in the whale's belly, submits to God, says, I will go. Like, I will go. I'll proclaim your salvation. I'll proclaim what you want to do in Nineveh and how you want to save them. Like all that happens, he gets vomited out into the beach. You would think you've got Jonah's attention if you're God. But that's not how this chapter starts. It says Jonah came, jo the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. It's like he forgot what, the whole thing from the very first chapter, what he was even supposed to do. He's like, okay, 
Go to Nineveh. I'll give you a message, and that's what you need to do. That's your calling. It says the word of the Lord came to him again. And it sets Jonah on this three-day speaking tour through Nineveh. And Nineveh's an interesting place. See, Nineveh at this time in history was in a desperate place as a nation. There, there were multiple natural disasters happening in this time frame, in this region of the world. The, the city had been flooded. There were earthquakes. There were domestic riots, political infighting. There were multiple things that pointed Nineveh to say, your gods are not working. This, this system you have set up is not working. And so the reason they're so responsive is because they're desperate. They recognize they don't have the answers. They don't have this figured out. So they're actually surprisingly humble. They're like, we should respond to Jonah's God. We don't want to get wiped out. And Nineveh, it says the word of the Lord was shared with them, and they responded to the second chance. And it's not just like the ordinary kind of like low-level class that responds and are freaked out. It's everybody. It says the king and the nobles respond like the top level leadership says, yes, we're in a desperate place. We need the, the salvation. We need the rescue. We need the way out that Jonah's proclaiming to us through Yahweh. And they respond. They, they change their ways. They turn. It says they repent. And I think for a lot of us, this, this truth misses us when it comes to following God. Or the word we would use here is discipleship. What it means to not just check a box and be a Christian, but what it means to be a disciple of Jesus who embodies his ways, his thinking, his patterns, his, his habits, the way he did life and saw people is the way that we live and see people. That's what discipleship is. And discipleship is how you respond to God, not what you know about him. Knowing is important. If you grew up in this area, there's a good chance you know some things about God. That's awesome. That's important. But, but, but discipleship is not just what you know, it's what you do with what you know. It's not enough to just think good things about God or feel like he's real or feel like he's moving in your life and never act, never move, never change anything. Discipleship is how you respond to that revelation. It's how you respond to God. It's not just what you know about him. C.S. Lewis, who's a theologian and philosopher, uh, wrote this book called The Screwtape Letters. And in those letters, essentially the, the premise of the book is that there's a demon trying to wipe out a Christian person. This person is trying to follow God and honor him and be a disciple. And this demon is like requesting help from their leader, from the devil, to figure out how do I just take this person out? Like how do I just really, what are the strategies and tactics to ruin this person's Christian life? And so we pick up, there's part of this chapter I want to read to you that really hit me in a very fresh way in the screw tape letters. And this is the demon writing to the devil about how to take out this Christian guy. And this is what he writes. As long as man does not convert it into action, it doesn't matter how much he thinks about this new repentance. Wallow in it, write a book about it. That's often an excellent way of sterilizing the seeds which God plants in a human soul. Do anything but act. And he goes on. No amount of piety in his imagination and affections will harm the cause of evil if it is kept out of his will. The more often he feels without acting, the less he will ever be able to act. And in the long run, the less he will be able to feel. Now, that's a lot. I, I'm not expecting you to have uh, that quote like figured out totally. But, but the point is that God will prompt and do things in our life. And if we do not act, we don't respond, eventually those promptings, those feelings, that head knowledge will dissipate. 
Discipleship, friends, is how you respond to God, not just what you know. Knowing is great. You have to start there. You've got to know right theology, right doctrine. Those are important. Don't get me wrong. But if we never do anything with what we know, we will eventually fade into the shell of what God wants us to be, of who he wants us to be. We'll become much more Christian than we will be a disciple. And there is a big difference. Plenty of Christians in our world, in our community, in our nation, very few devoted disciples. And that's the difference. The difference is how you respond to God. How do you describe, like, I've been in a lot of hospital rooms lately. Uh, Over the the course of serving in ministry, I've been in a lot of difficult situations in hospital rooms and, and ICUs. And the thing that really struck me about this message immediately took me back to one of those rooms. And when someone is flatlined or they're not taking medications or, or, or interacting well with the prescriptions or the, the plan of treatment, often what people describe, doctors describe those people as being, is unresponsive. And if you want to know what a dead, flatlined, dry spirituality, a dry Christianity looks like, it's someone who is unresponsive to the voice of God, unresponsive to worship, unresponsive to the Holy Spirit's promptings and and voice, and unresponsive to the Word, unresponsive to correction. It's a life that will eventually flatline and die out. That's not at all how the Christian life was meant to be lived. Discipleship is how you respond to God, not just what you know about Him. Now, you may be shocked by this because of my hairstyle, but me and my wife celebrated 10 years of marriage uh, a couple weeks ago. And uh, 10 years goes really fast uh, when you're married. It's crazy. Now, we had kids about three years ago. It feels like I lived 10 years in three years. So I, th- I, I count it as 20 years of marriage at this point. But, but 10 years of marriage. We got married December 28, 2013. And uh, we got a night away. So we were at my in-law's house, and they watched the girls for the night. And we went about an hour away and, and went to dinner. And it was an awesome time together. But it hit me driving back home from that whole, that whole Christmas trip that the reason we're still together is response. Like the reason we sat down and had dinner and exchanged gifts and all this kind of stuff, the reason we celebrated 10 years uh, of marriage is not the celebration of the first time I said I love you back in college. It's not the celebration of the time I even got down on one knee. It's not even a celebration of the time we actually got married, the wedding ceremony that we had. Friends, 10 years of marriage, if you ask me, is a celebration that after 10 years of struggle, 10 years of loss, 10 years of victories, 10 years of seasons of closeness and seasons of distance, a lot of second chances I've needed from Lindsay, we're still in it. That's, that's what it is. That's a celebration of response, of movement towards one another. It's not enough to just know that she loves me or I write that on an anniversary card Friends, it's a life of acting and responding to each other because we love each other. And that's what following God is like. Acting and responding, a heart that's responsive, open, and longing to move in the direction of the voice of God. That's the kind of life God works with. That's the kind of life that becomes an adventure in faith and following Jesus. That's that's a life that requires risk and courage. That's a life that requires supernatural provision because you're doing things that require the Holy Spirit to be 
real in your life, not just a concept. Discipleship is what you do. It's, It's how you respond to the voice of God, not just what you know about him. And there are two places, I'm trying to think about this over the last couple weeks, between snowstorms and snow days and sick kids and being in the hospital and Christmas break, I was just thinking, I knew that this message was coming up, and I said, God, could you help me figure out what are the two areas that unresponsiveness can sometimes creep in? Because I know in my life what they are, and I was trying to think, like, for us as a community, what is that? And I kind of narrowed it down to two categories. They're not they're not going to cover everything, but I think these are two really common places unresponsiveness can creep in. The first one is what you and I are doing right now. It's worship. Sunday morning. See, again, if you grew up in this area, there's a good chance you have been to church before. This may probably is not your first church service in the world that you've ever done, that ever happened. And if that's true, that means that there is a, uh, a, a sobering familiarity with church and services and worship songs and standing up and sitting down and listening to the Bible being preached and what to do with that and, and how to interact in the lobby and how to drop your kids off and all of that. You know what can happen? What, what strikes me is that all of the conditions of worship could be exactly how you like them, exactly how I like them. Like you could come in on a Sunday and we sing all the songs that you like. And you drop your kids off, and they're not screaming their head off on the way to check-in. And, and the drive-in is, like, sunny, and there's no clouds in the sky. And it's, like, I don't know, 75 and sunny in, in January in Michigan. Like, all the conditions could be right. The pastor could preach exactly what you want, like your favorite life verse. I mean, all the things, the coffee could be perfect. The, the temperature could be perfect. The seat could feel more comfy than it normally does. You know, like, all of the externals could be right. And you could go through an entire Sunday morning and have zero emotion, zero passion, zero stirring in your heart, and you could leave this building exactly the same person. How is that possible? It's the difference between a responsive heart and an unresponsive heart. You can sit through all this stuff. It could be dialed in exactly how you think church should go, exactly tailored to your preference, tailored to my preference. And yet if we never respond to the reality that Jesus is in the room, we will never be changed. Because discipleship is not just what you know. It's about what you do with what you know. It's, it's a response to the revelation of Jesus. And that's why all over the New Testament, I mean, for us, the, the, the phrase that is often associated with, with people like you and people like me in a New Testament reality is the phrase, the priesthood of all believers. It's that you and I are a kingdom of priests. That, that language is used. That's not just like an old school Catholic term. That literally means that when you and I show up, we have a job to do. We have something to contribute. Not just your voice, but your whole life, your sacrifice. You, you being here deeply matters. You you singing matters. You raising your hands. Me engaging my whole body, it matters. Why? Because I believe that Jesus is real. What he says in scripture is he fills that. He fills, he makes a home in that praise. He makes a home in a worship service like this. So it's never just a Sunday. There are no ordinary Sundays. There's no normal. There's no. I never want to be too familiar with the presence of God that I walk in and out of this room on a Sunday unchanged. May it not be true of any of us. But that can happen easily. Some of you, you maybe have sat in services like this many times and felt zero pulse spiritually. 
And the difference between that and experiencing what happens in Nineveh, the dramatic turnaround, salvation is response. It's repentance, it's humility. The second is, over the last couple of months, I have had multiple conversations. They all kind of have the same thread. How do I get better at hearing God's voice and like actually knowing if it's God, knowing if it's his will or not? Great question. If you figure that out, I would love to know because uh, that's something I'm trying to grow into. And so I would say the second area unresponsiveness can creep in is a word I would just use is for this is promptings. Promptings. And th- these typically happen Monday through Saturday. Sometimes they happen on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, there may be, may be like an inner feeling like I should probably pray for that person. I know that they're struggling. I know it's been hard. Maybe they're in and out of rehab. Maybe their uh, marriage is falling apart. I know I should just text them. I should pray for them. I should call them or walk across the street and pray for them. I know that feels weird and out of the ordinary, but I feel like God's telling me to do it, and then you don't do it. And over time, those promptings start to dwindle down. And it feels like God's not in your life at all. Like, how is he moving? Is he speaking? I read the word, it's dry. I come to Sundays, it's just dry. And I think the more and more we respond to those promptings, whether it's praying for somebody or or paying for somebody in line behind you or just saying a nice thing that you're thinking to somebody, and not to make it so simple, but sometimes it is very simple. Maybe it is a dramatic step. It's leaving a job. It's moving out of the neighborhood. It's doing something that seems irrational with your money that makes all sorts of kingdom of God sense. That's kind of where God begins to to move and stir and speak more and more and more. It's those little things that you may think, I'm like 73% sure this was God. I'm just going to act on it as if I'm 100% sure. And when you act, you will continue to get those. They just have a way of showing up more and more in your life. If you're aware, it raises your level of awareness because you've responded. Because here's the thing. If you think you hear God and you do something and you're wrong, I don't think God cares about that. I think he honors faith. I think he honors a responsive heart to say, I tried my best. Now, we're in the middle of like a job transition. I hope that doesn't happen to us. But, you know, like there's so many different things that can happen in your life. And you know, I've got a really good guess that that was probably the Lord. And if you respond to it, friends, you will get more and more. If you do not, you'll find yourself wondering, where did he go? I used to hear what I felt like was God all the time or felt like this inner prompting to do this. I just don't feel those anymore. That, to me, is a striking end to this story in chapter 3. Because this, this last verse really just hit me between the eyes when I was studying it. This is, what, this is what Jonah 3, verse 10 says. When God saw what they did and how they turned, how they responded, how they repented from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Did you catch it? God responds to Nineveh's response, and that's how he works with us. God responds to your response. God responds to your faith. God responds to your prayer. God responds to you declaring his promises. That God, just, God responds when you exercise your God-given, Jesus-ordained spiritual authority. God responds to that. But if you just keep discipleship about what you know, You'll never get there. You'll never, you'll never experience that level of following Jesus. And here's what strikes me. As you do some like historical digging around Nineveh, 
this is like the rituals, the sackcloth, the sitting in the dust, the fasting. They did that for all of their gods. All of their idols required that same thing. And what's different is their posture. What's different is their heart. What's different is their humility before Yahweh to say, we want to respond to this message. We do not want to get wiped out or overthrown. We're going to listen to what Jonah's saying. And the city turns around. It wasn't the rituals or fasting or sackcloth. And it's not your voice and you taking notes and you raising your hand. It's not that. It is the response of your heart that does lead to those things. But those things are not the, the, the end goal in and of themselves. And that's true in Nineveh. And it's true for you and it's true for me. You know, as I uh, shared back in November just about the way God was leading our family, I had lunch with a person I didn't really know very well. And he was a, a friend of a friend that said, hey, you should connect to this guy. And he does church consulting all over the place in, like, in big churches, small churches. He's been through a bunch of different changes and helped churches transition, all these kind of things. And I was like, all right. I was a little bit skeptical, but I was like, I, I'll bring some questions I'll ask. And so we sat down. We are talking. And I said, you know, he's like, uh, so where are you guys at as a church? What are you thinking? What's like your next thing? And I was like, I don't know, but I got one big question. One thing I'm wondering about a lot is what typically happens in your, in your career, in your field that you're in, what normally happens to churches who go through leadership transitions? Like walk me through that. What's the, like the number one trend? What's the thing you always see? And he said this. He said, the number one thing churches do in leadership transitions is they huddle up and they turn inward. They become passive to the mission. They become unresponsive to the community. It's all about how do we protect ourselves until we get through this storm and this change. And he said that, I was like, ouch. Like, I, I hope that that doesn't happen to, to me. I hope that that doesn't happen in my own life. And my second thought was, I don't think that's who we are. Now, I, I know all the dads. I know this guy Daryl's super smart. <laughs> I know that he's probably got a lot of research to back up what he just said. But to me, I said, you know, I, I, that's not my sense here. That's not my sense for center. That's not my sense in our own family. You know, just maybe the day quill talking <laughs> right now, but but that that's just not what I feel. And I I pray that the season that we are in as a church would actually be a, a time for us to prove me right, to prove God right. Say, God, we know that this doesn't make any sense. We believe that you have the best to store at the same time because here's what I believe, here's what I know. People who have experienced a second chance like Nineveh does, people who have experienced the, the hope of the gospel, the hope of a redeemed story that God does make all things new, he does take things that are dead and bring them back to life again those people it is very hard to turn them inward because there's a life of gratitude that they live out of there there's a brokenness that they carry for people who are far from jesus in their life not just neighbors and co-workers people in their own family people in their own neighborhood people in their own school you know that that's what strikes me about the king of nineveh's call in 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 Jonah 3, he literally says, let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. He's like, everybody, this is everybody. Get your pets, everybody. We're all responding, we're all repenting. And then he says this, let everyone call urgently 
on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion, turn from his anger so we will not die. And God still does that. God still responds, friends, to your response. Let everyone today call urgently on God. Let them call urgently on God. So the question to ask in this new year is how will you respond to King Jesus? How will you respond to the invitation? How will you respond to what God is doing in your life, what he's doing in our church, what he wants to do in the church and in this community? How will you respond to that? Because here's, here's what I know after enough years in ministry, I would love to like have a magic way of responding for you. It would make me feel better. It'd be like, I, I can respond for everybody. Everybody's just going to like leech onto my faith or we get to leech onto someone else. Like, but that is not how faith works. You have to decide. We have to decide. As a family, as a marriage, as a single person, you have to decide how will I respond to the invitation of God this year? How will I respond? And the beauty of grace is that God is always willing to welcome you back in, to let you turn around, to let you respond. If you sit here today and say, I don't, I don't, can't remember the last time I had any ounce of passion around Jesus. I'm just here. It's not too late to turn around. It's not too late to let him just break up that ground. And maybe you sit here today and say, I don't even know what the future holds. I don't know what this retirement season I'm going into is going to be like. I don't know what this last semester of college is going to feel like. I don't know what eighth grade is going to feel like. You know, it's never too late to just turn back. It's never too late to just say, God, I want to respond to you. Even if it doesn't feel like you've got an ounce of faith in you, just say, I'm, with whatever I have, I'm turning back to you. King Jesus, I'm, I'm pledging my life to you. I'm, gonna, I'm bringing back my allegiance to you. I'm bringing back my trust that you will take care of me and my family. Because discipleship is not just what you know. It's about how you respond to the Lord. And so I'd love to pray for us uh, before we respond in worship together so they could join me as we pray. King Jesus, we just say thank you for today. Thank you for the chance we have to get together, to worship, to hear from you, to honor you. And Lord, I just pray that you would begin to stir up new faith today. I pray that you would stir up an excitement and energy, a motivation to pursue you in a totally devoted, wholehearted, all of us type way this year. God, I pray for the person who has been walking with you for a long time but doesn't feel close right now. Who knows all the, the right things to say? Who knows, like, the right verses to, to quote? Who knows the words to the songs? But they're, they're not really hungry and they're not really thirsty anymore. God, I pray that right now you would break up the fallow ground and sow seeds of righteousness into their life. You would begin to pour out your rain on what feels like a very dry and weary spiritual journey. God, I pray for the person right now whose mind is feeling daily defeated by fear and anxiety. I pray 
Holy Spirit, that in this moment, as they respond to say, God, I don't want to live that way. I don't know what to pray for. I pray that the peace of Christ would guard their heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Not just in a uh, sentimental way, not just in like a churchy way, and then they leave and feel exactly the same tomorrow. I pray that you would really just actually remove fear and anxiety from the picture and deposit your peace in a very tangible sense right now in Jesus' name. And finally, I pray uh, for the parent whose kid is doing the opposite of what they want, opposite of the way that they've been brought up, opposite of the way of the Lord, and they feel defeated and tired and that the prayer is not working, the fasting is not working. I don't pray for easy solutions. God, I pray that they, that child would have a vision of the Father running down the highway, a Luke 15 vision right now in this moment of how much you love them and you're pursuing them before they correct behavior and have every question answered, that they would experience the loving embrace of the Father, a vision of how much you love them. So we say thank you for the good news. That's true for all of us. That you're there. You're running after us. Don't have to have it all figured out. Don't have to have it all perfect. You just long for us to respond to you. To have a life that says, even I don't know what this means because I just say yes. We love you and pray all of this in your name. Thank you, God. Amen. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in Him. If you want to take a next step, visit centergr.com slash new. We look forward to connecting with you there, and we'll see you back here next week.